I am thankful you guys are here. Today we are starting a new series, which um, I'm pumped about, man, um, because I believe it has the, the opportunity to, to change our hearts, and once it changes our hearts, I believe it has the opportunity to change the world, and that's exciting. When you realize the fact that I believe if, if our hearts can get in the right place, man, that our hands can accomplish tasks that change the world. I actually, uh, I found the text for this whole series when I was in my, uh, my daily Bible reading. I was just reading through and I bumped into it, which is even more instruction. Again, if I haven't told you a hundred times, which I'm sure I have, you should be reading your Bible every day if you're a Christian because the Lord speaks. He speaks through his word to us as we read and as we open our eyes to it. And as I was reading through just in my, in my daily reading, I, I ran across this psalm and it caught me all of a sudden. The psalm is Psalm 107. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have a phone with an app on it and you want to look at the Bible, you can turn there as well too, whatever you would like to do with that. But in Psalm 107, as it starts, it kind of talks about God's goodness. A lot of psalms do, talking about how great God is. Those who have been found by him should praise him. But then it, it goes through and it identifies four different groups of people. Four different groups of people, and in each one of them, the people have a, a similarity. All of them, it says, cry out, Lord, help. Four different times in this, it says basically a group of people, they cry out, Lord, help. And after each one, then it shows God's faithfulness to respond to these people. It shows his response and how he meets them exactly with what they need to affect their situation. And then the whole entire psalm kind of wraps up again, talking about how good God is, how how worthy he is of our praise. But what caught me when I was reading through this was the, was the four different types of people. Anytime I see a, a similarity in, in the Bible where stuff is repeated or it, it's done again and again or there's something that comes together, you can kind of start to draw a conclusion. And as I was looking at this, I saw these four different people that cried out, Lord, help, Lord, help. And I started looking at it and I'm like, I wonder if this has, has significance. And as I read through and I, I looked at these different scenarios, I realized they represent basically... They represent the crises that our world face. The crises that that people groups around the world face in which they cry out with no one else to help them, Lord, help. And what I boiled it all down to was basically four different types of people. Those who are hungry, those who are enslaved, those who are lost, and those who are plagued. And in each and every one of these scenarios, these people who are in this situation of desperation and inability to solve it themselves cry out from the bottom of their heart, Lord, help. I don't know if you guys, have you ever been in a situation where you realize there's nothing you can do about it and suddenly your eyes turn back to God? You know, a lot of other times we try to solve it or we we talk to somebody else or we, we share with someone else, we try to get their input, but then usually, and maybe you haven't had this happen, maybe you've had a very sheltered life, but if you've had some crap happen in your life, okay, sometimes you reach a point where you literally realize there's nothing I can do about this, and all of a sudden your eyes turn skyward, and you just say, man, God help. I can't see a way to fix this. 
And that's what these people sit at. It's not just a, a, a thought or a feeling of, yeah, this sucks, this isn't good. I mean, you're talking about a moment where they realize this is desperation. I can't see an answer to this solution. The only thing I can do is just to cry out to the Lord, man, Lord, help. In each one of these scenarios, the Lord answered these people. Whether it be hungry, enslaved, lost, or plagued, when they cry out, the next things that come in the, in the psalm are, are God's response to these people and how he, he responds to them, how he meets them, how he changes their circumstances. But if that's all that it was, well, then the psalm would just be about how good God is, which is, is great. God is. Man, he's good. Did an entire series called He Is, and it was all about the characteristics of God, that he's so worthy of our worship. He's so deserving of our praise. He is, man, he is amazing. But what I found was interesting uh, about this, this whole entire verse is that there's more to be said than just the fact that God responds. Because when I read it, I realize this. I think that the psalm is, is more not just about the, the what, but it's about the how. And that's what I want to share with you this morning over these next four weeks as well, too. It's not just the what. It's not just what happens. But what I think we need to be interested in is, is the how it happens. How does that actually come about? How is that actually accomplished? How does that happen? And I think that that becomes a lot more evident when we start pairing this Psalm 107, when we read it through the veil of the New Testament. And we're sitting back in the Old Testament. It's hard to understand everything, and it's hard to um, acknowledge everything. We have such an advantage because we're living all the way past the New Testament. So we can read the New Testament for a bunch of the answers. It's kind of like reading like a murder mystery in reverse. You read who did it, and then if you read the story from the beginning, then it makes a lot more sense because you already know the ending, right? That's us. We're sitting on the other side of the New Testament. So we can read the New Testament, which is the fulfillment, and then we step back and we read the Old Testament, and then we go, oh... That's what that means. I saw that all the way up here. And when we pair these together, it changes it a lot. Because when I pair it with a verse like 1 Corinthians 12, 27, and then we read this psalm, it changes it. Because 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says this, All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. He's talking about all those who believe in Jesus, all those who are part of the church. He says that each of you are a part of Christ's body. Every one of you. If you belong to Christ, you're in the body. There's no way to be separated from it. You're connected. You're part of it. And what I want to share with you is the reality of how our God works is this. Track with me here for a second. When God was going to flood the earth, and save only a handful of people, he built a boat with the hands of an average man named Noah. When God wanted to lead his chosen people out of slavery into the promised land, they followed the feet of an average man named Moses. When God wanted to take that promised land from the enemies and give it to his his children, he used the hand and sword of a man named Joshua. When the people turned away from God and they weren't paying attention anymore, he used the life and body of a man named Ezekiel to take and knock them back on course and say, you belong to God. When he was about to send Jesus 
and he needed to announce that his son was coming, he used the hands of a man named John the Baptist to begin to prepare the way. When Jesus came here and he said that he was going to leave and the church would have to spread on and would have to live on without him, he used the hands of 11 faithful men. When God wanted to preach to the Gentiles, he used the blood-stained yet forgiven hands of a man named Paul. So if this series is about the how, if this series is about a God that, that meets the needs of people who cry out to him, if this series is about a God who is faithful, and we understand the reality that we are part of Christ's body, then you are how he responds to these people. You. Each and every one of us who belong to Jesus were the hands and feet. The psalm isn't some miraculous story. It's not some magic show of God's provision. The psalm is the story of those who cry out and God's hands and feet going to meet them and solve the problems. In these four different scenarios, they require intervention from us. We have to open our minds as Christians. It's easy for us to get pigeonholed into a view of the fact that where we live, our close friends, the few people we know, that's our mission. And yes, it is your mission. That's your mission, man. Your best friends, the place where you work, the city where you live, that is your mission. But the reality is, is we are connected. Man, we are connected to a global mission a global mission of needs, of responsibilities that us as Christians carry that others do not, that everyone, despite whether the color of their skin is different, whether they speak a different language, whether they live in a different part of the world, whether they don't believe in the God that we believe in yet, that they are all our brothers and sisters and that they each equally deserve the opportunities to know Christ, to receive care, to receive compassion, to receive justice. The point of the service, the point of the series, the point of the entire drive is that if our hearts can change, then our hands can change, and we can change the world. Psalm 107, 4 through 9, the psalm that I was telling you about. If you guys have it, go ahead and turn to it. And what I want to read for you is just this first section Four different times in, this, in this, this psalm, these people cry out. And I want to read you just the first one this week. We'll come back to the next one next week and so forth. But Psalm 107, 4 through 9 says this. Some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless. Hungry and thirsty, they nearly died. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And he rescued them from their distress. He led them straight to, a safe, straight to safety, to a city where they could live. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. Verse 9, he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. But what does that mean? That means that we, we as Christians must satisfy the thirsty and fill the hungry with good things. 
that what he does is what we do because we're his body. We are the hands and feet. We are the plan. We're the way that he engages these people that need help, that his vision must become our vision, that his response must become our response. I can tell you that the need is astronomical. The need is almost incomprehensible. The first area that we're going to talk about is hungry. But there are multitudes that are hungry, lacking nourishment, lacking clean water, lacking the basics that we so much take for granted. Let me give you some facts. Right now, 780 million people lack access to clean water. Put that in perspective, that's two and a half times the population of the United States of America. No clean water. 3.4 million people die each year due to water-related diseases. Let me put that in perspective for you. That's the entire city of Los Angeles. Dies every year because of water-related diseases. Or maybe this one's a little bit more catching. Every 21 seconds, a child dies from water-related diseases. Every 21 seconds. Not just the water side, but obviously the hunger side is so shocking as well, too. Right now, there is 925 million people hungry. Approximately 9 million people die each year due to malnutrition and starvation. Perspective, that's the entire city of New York. And every day, 16,000 children die from hunger-related causes. That's one every five seconds. A child starves to death or dies because of malnutrition. Every five seconds. The numbers are are hard to receive, though. I I read a study once that they said that when when trying to talk to people about giving and talk to people about, about serving or talk to people about going, they said numbers never work because when I tell you those numbers, what happens is you immediately feel so small and so insignificant that you feel like there's no possible way you could change it. And the numbers don't even seem comprehensible. We can't even get it. It's like our national debt. When people say trillions of dollars, you guys don't even understand what a trillion dollars is. I don't. We don't get it in comparison because we're used to working with like thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions. But, you know, trillions are millions and millions. It's tremendous amounts of money that we can't even understand. The same thing when I say that 925 million people are hungry. It almost seems impossible. But let me put it in perspective just to take it back one step to see if it, if it catches you more at our level. In four more minutes, it's 11 o'clock. And this church service will have gone on for one hour. And in the course of that one hour, 900 children have died because of hunger and water. In the course of this one hour, from 10 to 11 a.m., 900 children around the world died simply because they didn't have food in their stomach, because they didn't have access to clean water. And every single one of them meant something to Jesus. Don't you dare just act like they're a number. Don't you dare just act like, yeah, that's 900, that's just a number. Every one of them, every single one of them belonged to him. Every one of them deserved better. Every one of them deserved Jesus. And their names, they're real people. 900 in this last hour. We know that God cares. 
Because that little bit of care that you have, just that tiny little bit that's happening in your heart, the Bible talks about the fact that the little bit of concern and care and love that we have, that's just a shadow of God's love. And we just feel a shadow of it in our own hearts. We know that the Bible, it, it, it talks about these things, that, that the people of God are not meant to turn a blind eye to those who are hungry, to those who are starving, that it's not right for us. Man, John, the man who I said, who, who called out Jesus' coming, people ask him, they, they, they're trying to figure out what it means to be a follower, what it means to have a relationship with God, and he literally says this in Luke 3, 10 through 11. They said, what should we do? And John's reply is so simple. If you have two shirts... Give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. He says, there's simple faith for you. There's people starving. Share your food with them. And you know what? It's not just some hippie Jesus movement either. You guys might think, oh, this whole, you know, this is all some sort of, you know, oh, you know, feed the starving children. No, it's all the way back in the Old Testament, all the way back in Isaiah 58.10. This is what Isaiah said. Feed the hungry, help those in trouble, then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be bright as noon. Man, Isaiah says that those who are hungry and those who are in need, when you help them, the light shines. And if you look into any of those different Old Testament things, all those are illusions and word pictures. Light always represents God. It always represents his goodness. Darkness always represents evil. And they said, man, you light up an area. An area that was steeped in darkness becomes bright with the love of God. When you feed those who are hungry, when you help those who are in trouble. Even more than that, I just want to show you this. As a picture of, of what our reaction should be, the best instance we can always look at is Jesus Christ. Man, he's our example. He's our leader. If there's someone who can look at and say, how should I respond to this? It's going to be Jesus. He's the one we need to look to. If you ever wonder, is my reaction right? Is it how Jesus would react? If it's not, then it's not right. If you're a Christian, we need to react the way Jesus reacts. We need to, to come at these situations the way Jesus comes at them. Let me share with you just two things I want to show you from two different verses, Jesus interacting with hunger. And they're, they're almost the same story. They happen really close together. And what happened is, is in this first one, Jesus has been out teaching and all these people followed him. None of them are wealthy. None of them have a, a ton of food and they're following him and they ate all their food. They didn't have any left. And in Matthew fifteen thirty two, this is what Jesus says. This is Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel, what's the next word? I feel sorry for these people. They've been here with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they'll faint along the way. We see that Jesus had compassion. He didn't say, oh, you bunch of idiots, you should have brought more food. Or you're dumb. You followed me for three days, you should have turned around and went back. It's your fault, you'll starve, your problem. No, he had compassion. He says, man, I feel sorry for these people. They don't have enough food. We need to do something about this. If you have a relationship with Jesus, the reality is, is we let our heart die. When we give our life to Jesus, what we ask, man, what we, what we really ask for, we ask for the Holy Spirit, and we ask for, for you know, Christ's love inside of us. The reality is, is we just let our heart die. And instead, we, we start growing Jesus' heart inside of us. Man, our, our blood, it starts pumping Jesus' blood, okay? And our DNA changes. 
our DNA, the way that we function. DNA makes up everything about you, but it begins to shift and refocus. Things that we used to hate, suddenly not so much. Things that we used to love, suddenly not so much. Our DNA changes. And I'm saying that if you have Jesus inside of you, your DNA must have compassion. It must. It must have compassion on those who are hungry and in need. It has to. He ends up feeding those people, if you're wondering. I think this, the second thing I want to show you, is, is, is probably a really good connection to that. Um, this is the same type of deal. He went, he found um, a bunch of people. This time it was 5,000 people who were there, basically more, because a lot of times they only counted the adults or the, the men. But there's tons of people, and he begins to heal them, and he begins to heal their sick and teach and all this stuff going on. And basically the same thing happens. It says this in Matthew 14, 15 through 18, that even the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Now listen, but Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. You feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. So bring them here, he said. I think a lot of times this is how we approach God. This is how we approach God with these problems, with these issues. Man, God, there's a lot of people here and they don't have food. You need to do something about this. Man, you need to do something about this. And Jesus is saying, that's not necessary. You feed them. You feed them. You're my followers. You know, sometimes I think maybe the, the disciples here, maybe they were, they were lining up the facts. But also, couldn't you just kind of see, too, that they were thinking, man, all we got is five loaves and three fish, and we got 12 dudes. We're hungry. We don't want to share this stuff with everyone else, you know? There's going to be none left for us. And Jesus says, you bring what you have here. You let me put my hands on it, and it'll be enough. It'll be enough. The reality check is this. In this world where there are people starving, millions of people starving, there isn't a supply issue. There's not a supply issue. Statistics show right now that there is enough food in the world to feed everyone full. There's a distribution problem. The supply isn't lacking. The distribution is wrong. The distribution is messed up. In some areas, food is scarce. In other areas, food is hoarded. You know, sometimes I was thinking about this this scenario, and I've heard people say this before, and I think finally reading this, I realized how much it just made me angry. <laughs> how much it made me angry, because I realized the arrogance of this statement. How many of you guys have ever heard people say, if God's a loving God, then how could he let little kids starve in Africa? I never realized how much that infuriates me until I read this verse. If God's a loving God, then why would he let little kids starve in Africa? I realize what I want to do is point to him and say, that's why. You're complaining about kids starving in Africa. Well, their food is on your stomach. That 40 extra pounds you got hanging, that could have fed a lot of kids in Africa. 
and you're complaining about God because he's not good enough to feed those overseas, you're stuffing your face with so much food that there's, you know, plenty extra. We're gaining weight in the United States every single year. And you're going to complain that God's the one at fault. God's the reason why those kids are starving, not us. I mean, I understand we throw away more food than would be needed to feed all those people over there. And I understand that probably today, an average of us, we'll all probably eat like 3,000 calories worth of food by the end of the day. But it's God's fault. It's not my fault. It's not my problem that I have probably enough food in my house right now that I could feed an entire village over in Africa. That's God's fault. I never realized how much it infuriated me until I read this and realized... Man, there's no supply shortage. There's a distribution problem. And in our arrogance of thinking that we deserve so much and they deserve so little, we can somehow point the blame at God and say, well, he's at fault. When we have so much. When we have so, so much. And you know, I'll say this. I wasn't even going to put this in notes, but I'll just say it to you guys too because I know, know we live in the United States of America. United States of America. And we pay tons of taxes and you figure, well, you know what, the government just gives so much money overseas, I do my part by paying my taxes, I don't have to give a cent more. How much do you think the government actually gives out of their national budget towards foreign aid? You think it's 25%? You think it's 10%? 5%? 2%? How about a little under half of 1%? That's the reality. You think you do your part by paying your taxes? Half of 1% of the budget is given to stuff like that. It doesn't matter anyway. It doesn't matter anyway. I'm saying there are so many that are hungry. There are so many that are starving and need the basics of life, and yet when we sit in so much comfort that we can somehow turn a blind eye to so many who lack the basics that we take for granted. As Christians, man, we are called to be the body of Christ. That is the reaction of our salvation, that we are connected to Christ. And if that's the truth, then his vision must become our vision. His reaction must become our reaction. His passions must become our passions. Psalm 107.9, it says, For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. So I can say, if you do not have any compassion for those who are thirsty or hungry, you are not connected to Christ. Because you can run that station backwards, right? If we belong to Christ and Christ is in us, then his passions become our passions. If our passions don't belong the same, well then he's not in us and we don't have it. You can walk it back the other direction, right? If we don't have any compassion for those who are hungry, any compassion for those who are in need, then we have not Christ. We have not Christ in our heart. That his compassion must become ours. This message is just really the first part of um, of four weeks. And... um, each of the messages aren't so much entitled to be a, a message in and of themselves. That this is the, the end-all, be-all of this discussion, and here it is. It's a lot more of, of a four-week conversation, to be honest with you. 
I'd encourage you guys, if, if today kind of caught you off guard and you're wondering, I'd encourage you to come back and continue to listen to this series because the idea is it's more of a, of, of a broadscape because this is, what I, this is what I feel from this, okay? My prayer, my prayer is that by the end of these four weeks, that of one of these four people groups that I share with you, one would break your heart. Not that all of them need to. Not that all of them have to be your calling. But my prayer would be that at the end of these four weeks, one of these four groups of people would just break your heart. And you would say, I can't. I can't just sit back and act like nothing's wrong. I must help in some way for these people. Whether that's giving, whether that's going, whether that's sharing, whatever it is. That's my hope for this series. And when you do get that vision, I've already done your first few steps. The back of our things for this entire series, if you noticed, just so happens that in God's creativity, hungry, enslaved, lost, and plagued spells help. Help. And on the back of each and every one of these that you can grab, there are global organizations that you can help. Global organizations that you can give to, get plugged into, that you can help with, that you can learn about, that you can share. And then at the bottom of each and every one, there's a local representation of them where you could start serving tomorrow if you wanted to. But I already have some first steps spelled out for a few. So you say, man, this is it. This is what I feel. I already have step one spelled out. Go ahead and take a step. Begin to live that. Man, that if we believe and we trust in Jesus, if we are a part of his body, that his, his compassion must be in our hearts as well too. Obviously, just like Jesus fulfilled the spiritual, I mean the, the physical hunger, he also fulfilled the spiritual hunger when he was out and about. And as Jesus was constantly pairing, is, is it was the, the spiritual hunger fulfilled as well, that I'd, I'd fill their stomach, and then he would always turn his eyes back to himself, that he would say, but then look at me, I want to tell you something. And John six thirty five, I think, is a perfect example of this. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I just want to share today, I mean, at the end of this service, this. If there's anyone here where you realize your stomach might be full, but spiritually you've been empty for a long, long time. That you've tried to drink and eat and consume all the things the world has to offer, and it has never quenched your thirst. It has never satisfied your appetite. That still you are always left longing and wanting. It's because of this. Man, the living water, the true bread. Jesus says, I am the one who fulfills that appetite, that fulfills that longing, that he wants a relationship with you. And what I would offer to you guys is this, is if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, it is so very simple. It's so very simple. Just to stop and say, Jesus, I am sorry for my sins. Thank you for dying in my place. Please become the Lord of my life. If that's you, I'd ask that you would do that. Let me pray, and I just want to do this. Go ahead and bow your heads.
If there is anybody that today, that was, that was your prayer, that you know what, you, you've never had a relationship with Jesus. You need God to fulfill, to satisfy that longing that you've had in your heart. If that's you, just real quick, no one's looking around. Just raise your hand real quick so I can see you, if that's you. If there's anyone. Yeah, I see you, sir. I see you. If there's anyone else, just say, yeah, that's me. I see you. I see you, sir. Anyone else today? You just say, man, I need Jesus. Let's pray together that prayer. Lord Jesus, Thank you for dying in my place. I am sorry for my sins. Please become the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. I want to pray for you guys this. I want to pray for God's compassion. That there are some who I believe are called today in this place. I know we're not a big church, but I believe by the end of this four weeks that there are people in this room that if their heart really became changed and if their hands followed that heart, that they could change the world. That 20, 30, 50 years from now, a segment of this world could be completely different between just something like this. One of us. One of us getting the vision. Let me pray for you. God, I ask for your compassion. I pray, Jesus Christ, that this morning you would send your compassion on us. I pray that, Lord, if we are connected to you, your vision would become our vision. Your heart would become our heart. I ask, Jesus Christ, that this morning and over these next three weeks that you would change us and you would show us what it is, Lord, that we are called to be a part of, that each and every one of us is called to some sort of mission, but that you would reveal to us what it is that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. God bless you. Come back next week as we continue.